I was invited to preach at a situation where someone had been murdered and just after that, before the funeral, I was invited to have a gospel service in the home of the young man that was murdered and so there was quite a crowd gathered in there and as I was preaching, the door was open and during my preaching, we heard gunshots outside the door. So a woman who was in the room went over to the open door and she shouted to the guys outside. She said, we're having church. And she shut the door and the shooting stopped. A strange thing is that although some of these areas where I go to are very rough, still they have a respect for Christians and if there's preachers in the area having a meeting, then they respect that and they'll not be violent towards the believers. But for other people among themselves, they don't care, they're very violent. Welcome to Testimony, an encouraging look at how God works in people's lives. So I'm very pleased to be speaking to Rodney Brown all the way from South Africa. We've had to schedule in a time because the electricity isn't always available uh, and especially today. So we're very pleased that you're able to join us today, Rodney. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I'm privileged to be on with you and to do this. Thank you. Just to make a, a start, what, one of the first questions I always ask is, what was your home life like growing up? What influence, if any, did Christianity play? Yes, well, I'm very thankful for the family I was born into. I was born into a Christian family. Both my parents were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ before I was born, and I'm the eldest of a family of five. And so it was very important for my parents that they would bring us up in the ways of the Lord. And so Bible reading and prayer was a very important thing and a very regular thing in our home. Was there ever a misunderstanding that you were a Christian because of your home life? I don't think so. From the earliest age that I can remember, we were taught of our need of the Saviour. That although we were in a Christian family... We were sinners, and sinners need the Saviour, and so they told us about Christ as our Saviour, and that we needed to trust in Him. And at what age did you do that, Rodney? I was about seven years old whenever I trusted the Lord as my Saviour. As I've said on a few occasions, all the best people were. So as you can tell, I was saved at seven. Yes, and I'm very thankful for that. Not appreciating it as I should at the time, but then when I got older, Seeing what I had been saved from in this life, I'm very thankful for being preserved and for being saved at a young age. You wouldn't be baptised until you were 14. Was there a reason for that period of time? I think part of the time was I was still very young and it took some time for me to understand about baptism. 
But then even when I did understand it, I did struggle with it a little bit. I don't think I was really so much struggling with baptism, but just being a shy person, I was afraid to ask to, to be baptized. <laughs> but eventually I got up the courage. There, there was a, others being baptized at the time, and it was an opportunity for me also to ask. So I asked for baptism and was baptized about 14. There's always safety in numbers, isn't there? That's right. <laughs> What direction did your life take as far as education and, and career? I wasn't uh, a great lover of school. I just wanted to get through school and get left and get a job. So I left school at 16 and I started into sales jobs. I was always selling products. And so right up until I left secular employment to go into the Lord's work, I was always involved in sales. Before I met Joy, there was a, a time in my life where I was really being challenged about my life and about total commitment to the Lord. And so there was a definite experience in my life where I gave myself to the Lord for whatever He would want for me. How did those circumstances come about? Was it something you read or something you it saw? Was, or? Yes, it was through sort of hearing the Word preached and also the reading of the word and conversation was with a friend at the time. I was really convicted about it, really challenged, and I just came to the point where I must do this. I must give myself to the Lord. And for any younger listeners, what does that look like in, in a day-to-day -day sense to want to commit yourself to the Lord? How is that practically seen? It will be seen practically in that... You're not living your life for yourself, that you want to live your life for the Lord and the things that you're doing in your everyday life, you want to do it for the Lord. And so you want to honor the Lord, you want to please the Lord, and you don't want to do anything that would displease Him. Yeah. It's easier said than done, isn't it, at times? Yes, even for the rest of our lives, it's easier said than done. Yeah, it's the whole battle of the, the spirit against the flesh. That's it, yes. Galatians chapter 5. So in 1990, you would meet Joy Elliott and her parents, Kenneth and Charlotte Elliott, were missionaries in South Africa. That's right. And that would start the whole visitation to South Africa. So perhaps you could first of all explain how you and Joy came to, to meet. We met through a mutual friend. Uh, we were at a meeting together and after the meeting the friend invited us with a group of young people to her home where we sang choruses and had a supper together and I met Joy and got chatting to her that night. So that was the first time that I met Joy and then over a period of a few months she was in Ireland at the time we met at different events and then it was organized that we would be in the same outreach team to the south of Ireland. There's a couple in the south of Ireland. They're still working there, Noel and Liza McMeekin. They do a postal Bible school and camp work. And Noel was still in secular employment at the time, but he ran quite a few weeks in the summertime of children's outreaches. And he took young people from the north of Ireland out of the south and Joy and I were in the same team for a week and we really got to know each other very well at that time and then our relationship kind of came out of that. 
What a wonderful man Noel is. He was from the same assembly as me in Ballymena. Ah, okay. You then go and visit Joy's parents in South Africa, so the relationship must have moved on quite a bit to that extent. Yes, so we met in 1990 and that was the start of our friendship and at the end of 1990 I made a visit to South Africa to meet her parents and the family and at that time I got opportunities uh, to preach the gospel here in South Africa. So that gave me a kind of an understanding of what life is like here and opportunities that there would be here to, to serve the Lord. And so that was really the start of my interest in, in South Africa. Before that, I was busy in the Lord's work at home along with my secular work. I was always busy preaching and helping in children's work. But it was nice to be able to see work in another country as well and to see the openings and the, the welcome that I had coming from overseas. I think it's fair to say for most people who have never been to South Africa, they would possibly have a negative impression. What did you find when you first visited South Africa? Well, it was very different from what I was used with. There was rules of the road, for example, are much more relaxed than South Africa. That was one of the first things that I noticed. For example... On the back of a pickup truck, you would see quite a lot of people sitting, and they, they might be laborers, and they're going to work, or maybe going home from work. And I remember at that time seeing a lot of people on the back of a pickup truck, and they took a picture of them because it was something I had never seen before. So that was just one example. And also, at that time, it was coming towards the end of apartheid, but people were still very much sort of one camp or the other camp, and it was still very strong in the country. And I remember, this was actually a little bit later than 1990, but around the same era, we went into a shop, and the shop part was open for everyone. And then a bit further inside the shop, there were a few tables. And just before the steps towards those tables, there was a sign on the wall, whites only. So that was a shock to me because I'd never seen anything like this before. Did you feel as a white person that you were treated differently in South Africa? Well, I didn't like that. And this was just a random shop that we were in. And uh, really, as I say, I didn't like that at all. And it meant that I, I didn't really want to, to stay there in that environment. I wanted to get out again. But from the Christian fellowship perspective, it was so wonderful to meet and to have fellowship with believers with a different skin color. To, to, to us, it doesn't matter what color a person's skin is. There's no relevance at all. All one in Christ. That's right. And so did you ever encounter any dangerous experiences on your first kind of your your visits rather than before you went to live? Did you find any, any dangerous moments? I don't remember being in any dangerous situations at that time, no. Unknown to you, I messaged two of your daughters today and I asked if they had any questions or, or funny stories to, that I could share. 
Now, the only thing yeah. Rebecca came back with was a story that Joel likes about a young man who approached you when you were in the car. Oh, yes. Perhaps yes, you this, could... This was many years after those earlier experiences. Oh, OK. Well, perhaps you could share that story now, because I, I think it's great. Yes. I was driving in a rough area and came up to the traffic lights that were red, so I stopped. There was a car in front of me, and as I was stopped, my window was down, my driver's window, and I saw a young chap walking across the road in front of my car, and he came up to my window, and through his shirt, he pointed his finger at my trousers, where he could see the shape of my phone, and he pointed at the phone, and he said, cell phone, I shoot you, cell phone, I shoot you. And just at that moment, the light turned green. So I just kind of sort of waved my hand out the window to him and sort of said, give a kind of a, a growl and I just drove off. <laughs> the line I heard, or the line I was told was that you said, Ock, away with you. Well, now, that's what I would say in the north of Ireland, but yeah, and, and, and I did say it probably to, to that guy, but I wasn't thinking I would say it on this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Another experience as well where I was invited to preach at a situation where someone had been murdered and just after that, before the funeral, I was invited to have a gospel service in the home of the young man that was murdered and so there was quite a crowd gathered in there and as I was preaching, the door was open and during my preaching, we heard gunshots outside the door. So a woman who was in the room went over to the open door and she shouted to the guys outside. She said, we're having church. And she shut the door and the shooting stopped. And I remember that evening, whenever I was actually going into that home, it was a top flat in a block of flats, and I saw these rough-looking characters standing around, and I was thinking, well, I'm going in here for this meeting, and then afterwards, I'm going to have to come back down these steps yet to go back to the car. And so this was very much in my mind, and then hearing these shots and the woman telling them that we're having church and the shooting stopped. So we went back down again afterwards, and all was well. A strange thing is that although some of these areas where I go to are very rough, still they have a respect for Christians and if there's preachers in the area having a meeting, then they respect that and they'll not be violent towards the believers. But for other people among themselves, they don't care, they're very violent. It's lovely to think that people are prepared to stop shooting while you're having a gospel meeting. It's a nice thought. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was very thankful for that. <laughs> so while you were on your visits and you had the opportunity to preach, you were also involved in the Evangelical Mission Press, which was being run by Kenneth and Charlotte Elliott. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about their work that they were doing at the time. Yes. Now that was a work that was started by an English missionary in 1931, originally in a northern province of 
South Africa, but due to his health problems, he was moved. He moved to Cape Town, and then they came out from Northern Ireland to join him in the work there, and they arrived in 1957 to eventually take over from him, which they did. A printing ministry, printing mainly gospel tracts in many African languages, and also booklets and Emmaus courses that have been used widely by many missionaries in South Africa and other workers who preach the gospel and teach the scriptures to people in many countries and in many languages. And they built that work up over quite a number of years. When I was having a little research today, I noticed that it's been going for 90 years and they've printed in over 60 different languages. The figure that really stuck out was there have been 157 million tracks printed, which is quite a lot. Yes, 157 million. That's a lot of tracks. If you think of the population of the UK, whatever that is, and multiply that, and there's a lot of tracks. It's a lot of people that have been reached, and people have been reached, and people have been converted, and believers have been helped through the literature. You mentioned a little earlier that you uh, had committed your life to the Lord and whatever that would look like. And in 2000, Joy's father would be called home to glory. At what point do you feel called to go and to be involved in the work in South Africa? Yes, it was actually 1999 that he went home to be with the Lord. And we were in South Africa at that time during his illness and his passing. And I was doing what I could at the time. I was helping in the work of the Evangelical Mission Press and seeing the need that was there and also the need in the country in general. And one day I went to the post office to collect the mail and I collected it and brought it back to the mission press and it was opening it and there, there was a letter for myself. It was a letter from the late Leonard Mullen who had been a missionary in Japan for many years and I knew him quite well, an Irishman. And in this letter to me, he spoke about the, the passing of Kenneth Elliot and the big gap that it would leave in the work and then in his letter he said these words to me, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. This was the words of Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And it was a scripture that he loved and used often as he spoke to people, to believers. Whatsoever he saith to you, do it. Now, that really hit me hard at the time because I was already seeing the need and seeing where there could be a place for me in the work and now to get this scripture verse from this brother it was something as I say that hit me hard at the time and so that was something at the time that I felt was really a pointer because I was already feeling convicted about the direction that we should be going and so I, I took this as as an indication but didn't say anything for a while, just Joy and myself, we kept it to ourselves and prayed about it. And then after a while, I couldn't really keep it quiet any longer. And so 
we spoke to our elders. At this time, we were fellowshipping in Larne Gospel Hall, Northern Ireland, and we spoke to our elders, and we had a couple of meetings with them, and they were happy to commend us full-time. They said that they weren't surprised. We have been very busy in the assembly there in Larne and very happy with the, in, in the fellowship there. But this was something that we felt really was, was from the Lord and there was an open door and we spoke to them and they commended us full time to the Lord's work. When it came to the kind of call to go to South Africa, did your wife have the similar call at, you know, at a similar time or did the Lord speak to you both at different times in different ways? It would really have been at the same time. She wasn't really pulled back to South Africa in a natural way because we were very happy living in Larne and we really enjoyed the fellowship there. So she was very content living in Northern Ireland and it was really more myself that was taking the lead in this, but she was happy to follow and agreed with that lead that I was taking. Yeah. So at that time, you would move across. What what sort of size family did you have? We had four children born in Northern Ireland, four girls, and then we moved to South Africa and had two boys born here. Was it different living in South Africa as opposed to being there as a visitor? And was it fairly easy to for the family to settle? Our children were young at the time, so it wasn't really difficult for them. They could adjust quite easily. And Joy had been brought up in South Africa, and I had visited quite a number of times. And so I don't think it was very difficult to adjust really to living in South Africa. Got used to it fairly fast. That's right, yes. Uh-huh. And so... For a number of years, you would continue the Evangelical Mission Press, but you were also involved in gospel preaching at the same time. How did you feel the Lord was moving you as far as gospel outreach? What was your approach? Yes, well, I was very busy locally in gospel work, but also had opportunities to visit other areas and did some trips to further parts of the country and also in those earlier years had a trip to Namibia where I was able to preach the gospel and with these trips further away from here and also local work that I was involved in I was becoming very busy in gospel outreach so it came to the point where I left the work at the Evangelical Mission Press to concentrate full-time in gospel ministry. In one of my uh, other episodes, I speak to Matt Jenkins, who you know, and uh, is involved in the work in Namibia. How did it come about that you would go to Namibia and be involved over there? The first visit we had to Namibia, it was through a contact, a Namibian girl who had been in Cape Town and she was saved in Cape Town and then she went back home to Namibia 
but she had no fellowship there, and she kept in contact with one of the ladies in our assembly, and she emailed this lady in our assembly, and she said to her in her email, I wonder would Rodney be interested in coming to Namibia to preach? And so the other lady told me this. I think she maybe even uh, sent me a copy of the letter. And so I got into contact with the, the girl in Namibia, and so it was arranged that we would go there uh, for a visit. And we traveled around a, an area in the south of the country and had a few meetings and were able to uh, preach there and distribute literature. When I spoke to Matt, one of the things he said was there was a real appetite for the gospel. Is that something you've seen throughout your various visits, not just to Namibia, but within South Africa? Well, that's right. That first visit was sort of independent of any other workers at the time. And then I got involved with with Matt and other believers. It was seed sowers. And we've been a few times to the capital city of Namibia called Vintuk and also over to the coast. There's a place called Valvis Bay and another area called Swakopmund and some other places too. And generally speaking, there is an appetite uh, for the scriptures there. As we distribute these seed sore texts and other scriptures, people are very willing to receive the literature and very often we also can get get into conversations with the people and that would apply both in Namibia and also in many parts of South Africa. So what have been the main encouragements that you've seen during your time in South Africa? The encouragements would be that there's a lot of liberty here in South Africa to preach the gospel, more so, I think, than home in the UK. For example, there is a factory where I regularly have lunchtime gospel services, and I just don't think that that might be allowed in the UK. So I'm able to go to a factory, and there's much liberty in the open air. There's also a feeding scheme where I help with food donations and also I've given an opportunity to preach. And there's also a Christian radio station nearby where I have regular gospel messages. I go into the radio station and record gospel messages which are broadcast on a Sunday morning. So there's liberty to go to these different places and also in literature distribution almost everyone that I approach in these areas are happy to receive gospel literature Have you ever seen much in the way of hostility to the gospel in South Africa? Are there any other religious groups that would cause problems? There are religious groups but from my observation, areas that I've been to in many parts of the country, I have seen very little opposition. Uh, almost all people that I have spoken to, even from other religions, are happy to take something to read and quite often, too, to get into conversation. Yeah. What would be the main points for prayer 
if you could request prayer from the listeners. With so many people here able to listen to the gospel, one point for prayer would be that people would come to really understand the gospel. People have a general knowledge, but often we find that when we ask people what they are depending on for eternity, people will say things like, well, I keep the Ten Commandments, or I'm doing the best I can. And so although there is a God consciousness and some knowledge of Scripture, still many people don't seem to have a real understanding of the gospel. So that would be a point for prayer that people would really understand the gospel and also that we would see genuine cases of repentance and conversion. It's very easy to get professions. And I know that if I would ask somebody, well, do you want to give your heart to the Lord? Now? Do you want to get right with God? Now, just, just say this prayer after me, and they would do it. But I'm, I'm very wary of that kind of thing because that could be a false profession, and it's a fearful thing to have a false profession, that people are trusting in a false profession and they're still not right with God. So that would be two main points for prayer, that people would really understand the gospel and that we would see genuine repentance and conversion. Yeah. And what would the assemblies be like in South Africa? Are, you, are they seeing much growth? We're at a difficult point in assembly work in South Africa. Just before covid restrictions. I had been asked to preach at two gospel campaigns, but because of the circumstances at the time, those meetings had to be put off. But sadly, those assemblies haven't come back to me again. And so it seems that the assemblies in the general area, many of them are very slow to get going again after COVID. But I'm mainly working with two local assemblies in the Cape Town area who have gone back to almost full activities again. And so it's good to support these two assemblies in their gospel outreaches. Yeah. And just finally, which verse or verses have you found most helpful at some point in your life, whether it's a challenge, an encouragement, something like that? There's a verse that came to me early in the lockdown, and it is 2 Timothy 2, verse 9. The word of God is not bound. And Paul is writing from prison, and he's so restricted, and yet he gives thanks that God's word is not restricted. And I really took that to myself at the time because we were restricted so much at that time where we had to stay at home and just leave home for necessary reasons, like our groceries and things like that. And I was wondering at that time what I could do. But the Lord did open doors for me at the time in a digital way. But the encouragement of that verse was really helpful at the time. And I'll just give that verse to those who are going to be listening to this, that the word of God is not bound, even if the preachers are bound, even if the Christians are restricted in some way, yet we can give thanks. God's word is not bound. Second Timothy 2 verse 9. Well, thank you very much for your time, Rodney.
just uh, pray the electricity continues for you. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. It's always a privilege to share these things and trust it will be an encouragement to the believers who listen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Testimony Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please consider leaving a review and sharing it on social media with friends. Thank you.